Let's turn to Psalm 115. Um, it's been, been great having Mark preaching again with us after his physical issues. Thanks, thankful to God for the healing for him. Thankful that he took us back into the book of Mark for a couple of weeks. Um, and as you, as you look up this psalm, um, we have something great to look forward to next week as well, because uh, Stan was praying for the Gustafson. Mike Gustafson will actually be preaching, be here bringing the word with us next week. Um, but for now, let's turn to Psalm 115. Let me read this psalm for you. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. Their work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord. From this time forth and forever, praise the Lord. Now, some of you know, um, I grew up in, in Holland, in Europe. And I didn't come till, to America until after I met Elisa on a mission trip and and visit her family, and eventually ended up marrying her, and now we are here. But when you move to a different country, as most of, some of you, probably many of you have experienced at some point, there are some things that are different, some things that you have never seen before. So for me, when I came to America, one of the things that was new for me was this thing that you call football. Now, in Europe, we play football, but we play it with our feet. Here, football is something you mostly play with your hands, apparently. And so the first time I happened to, to see a game, it was, it's, it's kind of a confusing sport if you don't know what's going on. Now, luckily, I was watching with some people that could tell me, hey, this is what they're doing. To score points, you try to get the ball in the end zone. This is why they're throwing it backwards. This is why they're throwing it forwards. This is why this guy's running with the ball. And so once I understood the basic rules, it started making sense. Now, the same is true about life. We need to know some of the basic rules of life in order for life to make sense. And so this psalm is going to teach us one of these basic rules that if we understand it, things will make sense. If we don't understand it, we may never quite figure it out. Uh, the psalm is made up of a couple of different sections. We'll see in the first two, two sentences there's a prayer. The psalmist prays. Uh, then he gives us three reasons why this should be our prayer and then he comes up with a conclusion at the end. Um, so let's first look at the, at the prayer he prays here at the very beginning. He says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, 
but to your name give glory. And there's, there's I think, two things that we need to, need to note here in this prayer. The first one is, is in the very first line. It says, not to us, but to your name. So there's, there's a contrast here. There's the us, and then there is your name, God's name. And maybe the, the clearest way to bring out the contrast is if we would, would state this sentence the other way. If we said the opposite, we would say, not to you, O Lord, not to you, but to our name be glory. Now we would say, that, that doesn't sound right, but that's the way that the, the contrast is put here. So either the glory is going to go to us, or the glory is going to go to God. That are, that's the two options we have here. So either we are glory givers, who give glory to God, or we are glory takers, and we take it for ourselves. But what, what is glory? I mean, we often talk about glory. We say, oh, the glory of God, glory to God. What, what does that word actually mean? And the, the word used for glory here and throughout the Old Testament uh, can mean a couple of different things. Um, usually when it talks about the glory of God, it talks about the appearance of God, the, the radiance, the, the greatness of God. Uh, when Moses says in uh, Exodus 33, show me your glory, and God says, well, you can't see my glory, but I'll put you in a rock, you'll, you'll see the very back of me. It refers to God's, God's appearance, God's radiance, God's, God's brightness. Uh, the same when, for example, when they finish building the tabernacle, they offer all the sacrifices, and the glory of God comes down in, in fire, in lightning, in cloud. It talks about the appearance of God. But sometimes, as in here, it doesn't talk about God's appearance, but it talks about the honor, the praise that is due to someone. Uh, it, it's even used of people sometimes, and sometimes it says, you know, the honor due to a father. So it talks to children, say, hey, give, give your parents the honor that's due to them. So children, this is a good lesson for you. Um, but here it talks about, obviously, the glory that is due to God. And so the prayer is that that glory that's due to God will go to God. And then there's three reasons why this should be, or at least there's, there's probably many more reasons, but the psalm gives us three reasons why this should be a prayer, why we should be glory givers and not glory takers. Uh, first one is in the, re the rest of this verse, and it's pretty clear this is a reason, because it's, the next word is because. If you look at the rest of verse 1, it says, because of your loving kindness because of your truth. So the first reason that glory should be going to God, we should be glory givers, is because of who God is. He says it's because of who you are, because of your loving kindness, which is the word for God's, God's faithful, his, his covenant, his, his love for his people. Um, and then it says also because of your truth. Now, you're, if you're reading from a different translation, it may say because of your faithfulness. You may say, well, well, truth and faithfulness aren't quite the same. And they are a translation of a Hebrew word that means, it basically means that which stands fast, that which is secure, that is, that which is um, steadfast. So some translators have said, well, that, that seems to refer to God's faithfulness because that's something that stands fast, that lasts forever. Um, the NASB has chosen to translate it truth because God's truth obviously is also something that stands fast, it lasts forever, and it's not going to change. So either way, it's a, it's a valid translation of that word. Um, 
And what, what it's telling us is glory should go to God because of who God is. So if we turn it the other way around, it is the, more, the, the better, the more we know God, the more we know who God is, the more this will be our prayer. The more we know him, the more we will desire for him to have the glory. So then the question, of course, that, that is, this reason is asking us is, well, how do we know God, or how do we know God more? And I feel like it's one of those phrases, you know, I just want to know God, that gets kind of thrown around, but for a long time I was like, you know, you hear it in songs, you may hear it in, in churches, we just want to know God. But how do we know God? Well, that's a, that's a valid question. The good thing is that everything we can know about God has been revealed to us by God. Now, we wouldn't know anything about God unless he reveals it to us, but he reveals a lot about himself right here in his word. Now, if I was, uh, you know, sometimes we'll say, oh, you just need to spend time with God to know him. Now, I can be on a flight from Europe to here for 10 hours, sit next to someone. I, I spend time with them. I can listen. I can talk to them. But I'm not really going to get to know that person unless that person starts revealing themselves to me as well, unless that person starts telling me about themselves. And that's kind of how it, how it works as well. We can say, oh, we just need to spend time with God, but we need to go to the revelation that God has given about himself. That's how we get to know God, by learning from him who he is. And the good thing is he has revealed all that in his word. But here is where sometimes we, we get maybe into a little bit of a, a problem. Um, a, f- a few years, um, our family went to Disney World in Florida, um, which was a great time. So we went, you know, it, take, it takes a while to get to here from Florida. It takes basically all day. So we get there in the evening. There's a bus, picks you up, takes you to your hotel. You spend the week at, you know, the Disney World resort and all the parks. And then at the end, very early in the morning, you take that same bus, it takes you back to the airport, and you fly home. Now, we had a great time. But if my goal was to get to know Florida on that trip, was I very successful? No, right? I... I didn't see anything of Florida except for Disney World, which probably doesn't really represent the rest of Florida very well. I drove through a little bit in the dark. I didn't see anything. I know a little bit about the airport. We had a great time, but I don't really know Florida. I can say I've been to Florida. I don't know very much about Florida. And when we come to God and we say, we want to know you, God, sometimes we do a similar thing. We go to God and say, God, I just want to meditate on who you are, and then we go to one specific place, a place that we like. We may meditate on God's love and say, oh God, I just want to know more about your love, which is great. You can have a great time meditating on God's love, but it's only a very small piece of what God is, of who God is. God has revealed so much more about himself in his word that is all there for us to know if we're willing to go there. We can know everything he has revealed about himself if we're willing to go there. So what that calls us to do is maybe to focus on some of his other characteristics, some of his other attributes, as the big word is sometimes used. Uh, attribute is really just something that God has revealed about himself. Um, but let me ask you, how, how much time recently have you spent meditating on, on God being sovereign or God being eternal? 
or maybe how much time have you spent recently meditating on God's wrath? That's a part of who God is. It may not be a part that we want to go necessarily, but if God didn't want us to know about it or think about it, he wouldn't have told us about it. The fact that he told us about it means that he wants us to know about it. And if you start thinking about it, God's wrath is a beautiful thing because it's the only guarantee we have that there will be a world in the future where there will be no sin, no injustice, no unrighteousness. The only way that can happen is if God will take care and destroy all of that. But if we never go there and we just think about God's love, we will just have a very one-sided picture. We'll be like going to Florida, but only go to Disney World and not find out anything else about Florida. And so we will want some glory to go to God, but we may not really be wanting all the glory to go to God. Because if we, if we just think about what God has done for us, well, guess what? It's really kind of about us still. But if we start thinking about all these other characteristics about God, we realize that, hey, God is great, mighty, powerful, eternal, different, holy. And we realize, hey, guess what? It's not actually about me. Even what God does is not about me. It's all about God. And so the more we know God, the more we will want the glory to go to him. The more we will become glory givers rather than glory takers. And we, God, is not, God is not afraid of what we're going to find in the Bible about him. We may say, oh, I don't want to think about this because I don't want God to be this way. Well, guess what? God is that way anyway. It's just a matter of whether we are going to learn and find out about it and know God for who he really is, or if we're going to say, well, I don't really like that part about God, so I'm not going to talk about that part of God. Um, we, we will never come to fully know God that way. While we're here on earth, God has revealed everything for a purpose. And he wants us to know who he is. So that's the first reason for us to be glory givers is because of who God is. And the more we know him, the more we will want the glory to go to him. Now the second reason is in the next couple of verses here, from verses uh, 2 through 8. Let's go ahead and read those again. It says, Why should the nation say, Where now is their God? But our God is in heaven, in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. So what is he talking about here? Well, it starts off with a contrast between our God in verse 2 you know, the people say, well, where is their God? Answer verse 3, our God is in the heavens. Our God does whatever pleases him. Contrast with their idols, which are, one, created, and two, they don't do whatever pleases them. They don't do anything at all. They can see, they can hear, they can smell, they can feel, they can walk, they can make a sound. So our God is in heaven, the great creator who does whatever pleases him. All the other God, small g, are on earth, are made by men, and can't do anything. Now, Scripture often kind of takes aim at these, these idols, these statues that people have made, um, because in, in, in the time of the Old Testament, one of the main temptations for the people of God was to start worshiping idols. 
And so time and time again, God, through the prophets, through here the Psalms, uh, tells them, hey, if you think about what you're doing, you would realize this really doesn't make any sense to worship a statue rather than the God in heaven. Uh, one of my favorite passages that, uh, that does that is in Isaiah chapter 44. Um, if you want to turn there with me, uh, once you look this up in your own Bible, it's not going to come up on the screen, so you're going to have to do your own flipping your pages here or turning your phone to a, a different spot. But um, just read through this and appreciate the ridiculousness of worshiping idols that flows out of this passage here. So Isaiah chapter 44, verses 9 through 20. And it's appropriately titled in my Bible, The Folly of Idolatry. Um, Isaiah the prophet says, Those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know, so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god or cast an idol to no profit? Behold, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves, let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. The man shapes iron into a cutting tool and does his work over the coals, fashioning it with hammers and working it with his strong arm. He also gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and becomes weary. So basically he's saying, these, these idols are made by men who get hungry, who get weak, so how could this idol be of any use if the creator of these idols gets weak and hungry? Um, and then in, in verse 13, it says, Another shapes wood. He extends a measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. He works it with planes and outlines it with a compass and makes it like the form of a man, like the beauty of man, so that it may sit in the house. Surely he cuts cedars for himself and takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a fir. The rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worship it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over this half he eats meat. And he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes into a god. His graven image. He falls down before it and worships. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know, nor do they understand, for he has smeared over their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire and also have baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and eat it. Then I make the rest of it into an abomination. I fall down before a block of wood. He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. And he cannot deliver himself, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So Isaiah is saying, think about what you're doing. You have a tree here. Half of it you use to burn. The other half you make into an idol and you worship it. That doesn't make any sense. How is this tree going to save you? And yet, we know from, from the, the books of history of Israel, they did it all the time no matter how often the prophets would speak against it. But uh, what, what Isaiah is pointing out there and what the psalm is saying is that those who make these idols, those who trust these idols, will become like them. Now, does it mean that people physically become deaf and blind and mute and unable to walk? No, I don't think the psalmist would 
claim that, hey, if you worship an idol, you're going to lose your senses, you're going to lose your um, ability to walk. Um, but if, if we you know, looking at Isaiah, what Isaiah was saying is it's, it's a spiritual blindness. You become blind to God. You harden your heart, and you don't even realize that you're trusting in an idol anymore instead of the living God. So the reason we should be glory givers to God is if we give our glory to something else, if we give our trust to something else, we will become like that idol. Now, we are probably not very tempted to bow down to a, a, a statue of wood. Uh, probably not many of us even would know where to find a statue to bow down to, which is good. But we probably know where we're going here. There are other things that we are tempted to trust in in our lives. And probably in, in our culture, in our, our country here, one of the main things would be financial security and, pro- and our property. We feel secure because we have things, we have enough money, we have uh, what we want, we get what we need. But if that's where we put our trust, the Bible says, well, we will become like it. Are we physically going to turn into our, our money, our bank account, our stocks? Probably not. But what happens to us spiritually when we put our trust there? Well, it's going to mean that our, our happiness, our joy, our identity, our sense of self-worth is going to rise and fall with the value of our properties or the amount we have in our accounts or the stock market. So we become, our life is going to rely on, depend on how our property is doing or if we have what we want, or if we have what we need. And in that sense, we become like what we're trusting in. Uh, another thing that we may be trusting in would be, would be other people. We may think you know, our, kind of our identity, our self-worth is wrapped up in what other people think about us. Um, and, and again, we are not literally going to turn into someone else, but our, our self-worth, our joy, our happiness is going to be dependent not on the Lord, but on other people. Do I have enough friends? Do I have people that like me? Will they approve of what I'm doing here? And so we're going to tailor to others instead of to God. Uh, Or maybe we are trusting in ourselves. You say, well, I am myself, so I can't really turn into myself. Very true. But you can become a selfish person that's all about yourself. If you trust and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out, I'm going to take care of everything, I have the power, I have the resources, well, then everything is going to end up revolving and turning around yourself. And so this statement where it says, if you trust in something, you'll become like it, is very true for us as well. Not that we become a, a statue, but we become whatever we put our trust in. And so that's the second reason why we should be giving the glory to God because if we put it somewhere else, if we take the glory for ourselves, put it somewhere else, spiritually speaking, we're going to become like that idol that we're trusting in. So we have two reasons so far. One of them is the glory, we should be glory givers because of who God is. second one is because whatever we trust in, we become like it. And the third reason here is in the next, next couple of verses, verses 9 through 15. And that is that glory should go to God because of God's blessings. Let's read these verses here. It says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. 
So you see, he just says, you know, we have these idols, everyone who trusts in them will be like them. He turns around and says, so Israel trusts in, not these idols, trust in the Lord. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, which would be the house of the priests in Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. So there's three groups of people here. There's Israel, the people of Israel, which the, the Old Testament mainly written by. And, uh, there is the sons of Aaron, house of Aaron, which was the, uh, the house of the priest who were bringing the sacrifice and serving at the temple. But then all of us get included because it also says, you who fear the Lord. Um, so hopefully all of us feel included there. So there's a call to trust the Lord, it says, because he is our help and our shield, um, which, you know, especially for Israel, there were enemy nations around them all the time, so to have your God be your shield was a good thing. Um, but it also says, because he, will, he is mindful, he will bless us, and then all those different groups. So in the Old Testament, as you, uh, as you read through the history of the Old Testament, you get to Deuteronomy, you see, well, God says, hey, here, here's my covenant, here's my agreement with you, I've rescued you, so now you live according to what I tell you to do, and if you do well, you'll be blessed. If you don't do well, things will not go so well, you will not be blessed. In fact, you'll be cursed, you'll be conquered by other nations, eventually you'll have to leave your, your country, you'll be taken by force. Um, but he says, the, the, the thrust here is it's saying, if you trust in the Lord, if you follow the Lord, then you will be blessed. And verse 14 is a very Old Testament kind of blessing. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. Because part of the blessing they would get for following the Lord, according to Deuteronomy, would be prosperity, large families, large harvests. Um, now, when we translate that to our context, we also obviously get blessed when we trust in God. But most of our blessings are already ours right now. Um, if you... You know, if you ever wonder, you know, I, I don't feel very blessed today, uh, may I suggest that you turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and just read through the first couple of verses there. Because if you ever feel like, you know, I don't feel very blessed, I don't feel very good today, um, let me just read you a few of these verses here if you want to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And it's just a list of blessing after blessing after blessing. And these are not blessings that will be ours at some point. These are blessings that are already ours right now. So it says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, has blessed, past tense, past, what is it, past perfect? Something that has been completed and is true about us. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he hasn't just blessed us with a few spiritual blessings, which would already be fantastic. He is blessed with every spiritual blessing. Everything, spiritually speaking, is already ours. And it says in verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. 
In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. So we're, we're chosen, we've been made blameless, we're adopted as sons. Well, again, all these things are true about us. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. So it's like God has all this grace, and he's just not, he's not saying, oh, you can have a little bit of grace here, a little bit of grace there. No, he is lavishing that grace on us. He's just pouring it out all the time. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, with the purpose in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So what, I'm, what it is saying, summarizing it, is basically every spiritual blessing, everything we need, spiritually speaking, everything we could want, spiritually speaking, is already ours. At a place that Paul would say, we are already seated in heaven with Christ on the right end of God. Again, we may not feel it, we may not always think about it, but basically everything we could want is already ours. And so, while the psalm is saying, hey, trust in God so you'll get some of his blessing, now, after Christ, in Christ, we have all these blessings. Everything, spiritually speaking, is ours that we could ever want or need. And so, the, the third reason that, that he gives here for why we should be a glory giver to God is because of all these blessings that, we, that are ours in Christ, everything that Christ has done for us. So three reasons that we've seen here. Uh, one, we should be glory givers because of who God is. Two, because where we put our glory is what we're going to become like. And three, because of all the blessings that are ours in Christ. Those should all be reasons why we should pray that prayer, glory to you, God, not to me. And the psalm then ends here with a, uh, with a conclusion where the author, people singing this, will affirm that they want to be part of that group, part of the people that say glory to you, that they want to be glory givers. Um, read on from verse 16 to the end. It says, The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. So there's two groups of people here. Basically, he's saying there's two responses we can have to this. We can either be part of this group, the dead, who do not praise the Lord and go down into silence. Or we could be part of the us. He said in verse 18, but as for us, different group of people, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. So he says, well, there's one group that doesn't praise the Lord, and they will go down into silence. There's this other group that does praise the Lord, and they will praise the Lord forever. And so, 
the, the call, that, the thing that this call, psalm calls us to is, you know, it started with saying, hey, we need to be glory givers. It gives these reasons, and then the author says, yes, we are going to be those people that will give glory to God. So then, the question obviously becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we live a life as glory givers? Um, well, there's actually two questions kind of follow from it. So that would be the first one. How, how do we live a life as glory givers? Is that what we want to be, if that's what we want to be like? Um, the second question is, well, who, and we'll, we'll get to this in a second, it's who is the real glory giver? But first, let's look at well, what does it practically, what does it mean for us to be part of this us, to be part of the people that are glory givers to God? Um, well, according to this verse here, the thing that we would do is bless the Lord and praise the Lord. So we would speak the praises of God. We would speak and give glory to God in, in the things we say, the things we sing here in church. That's what these songs are, are meant to do, to, to praise the Lord, to speak glory to God. But that's not where it stops. And I don't think the psalm says, oh, as long as you just say the right words, you're a glory giver. Because if, if you look at uh, some, some New Testament passages, we will see that the authors make it very clear, no, that the main thing is not actually what you say, the main thing is actually what you do. Um, so you, you can probably, you probably, this verse may come to mind, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I think we have it up on the screen as well, on the, on the next slide, it says, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we may think, well, there's only, only kind of big things that are important, well, Paul says eating and drinking can be done to the glory of God. And in, in Romans 12:1, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So our worship is not that we come here and sing songs. Our worship is that we present our bodies as a sacrifice. Meaning what? Meaning that we do the right things. So the life of a glory giver is a life of service and sacrifice. It's the things we say, but it's also the things we do. So then the question we may ask is, well, is, is service and sacrifice something that characterizes our life? And, and we're talking about service and sacrifice in the big sense. We're not just saying, oh, any thing you do in church or the money you give to church is service and sacrifice. We're talking about this, as, as Paul said, everything in our lives can be done for the glory of God. Everything in our lives can also be done to the glory of us. You know, we can do things and say, hey, look at me. Look at me. Give me some glory here. Or we can do our, do our, live our life and by the things we do, we can say, look at God. Glory to God. Um, so, the, the people that know you best, would they describe you as someone who is sacrificial with, their, with your time, with your money, with your talents? That's the kind of life that, that a glory giver should, should have. Um, and I was just, as I was thinking through this, how could we put this into practice, not just in a, in a church context necessarily, because obviously we could be involved in church. So it would be a very good application here. Um, 
But some other things we could think about is, well, are we, are we spending time trying to reach people close to us in our lives, our, our neighbors, people at work, to build friendships to show them who Jesus is? That would be a good sacrifice of time, sacrifice of time, because really building friendship with people is not necessarily sacrifice. You should you probably get something out of that as well. Um, another, another area that I was thinking of where, where this whole contrast between a glory giver and a glory taker could be very real is social media. I think you know, things like Facebook, Instagram, it's very easy to post on that as a glory taker and want people to comment and say, hey, you're, so, you're doing so well, you're so good, and, and the glory to kind of go to, to me. But what this is calling for is that we should be glory givers. So I'm not saying social media is bad. I'm just saying if we want to follow what God is saying here, we should make sure we use it in such a way that it brings glory to God. Maybe if Paul had written 1 Corinthians 10 now, maybe you would have said, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you post, do all to the glory of God. So I think these are, these are maybe some good things to think about of, of how we can live our life as, as glory givers rather than glory takers. And maybe you know, something's come to mind for you as well. Um, and, and we could leave it here and probably say, oh yeah, that was, that was you know, some good, good, good insight. Yeah, we want to be glory givers. Um, but I think we would have still missed the main point. Because the main point in all of this is a question, who is the real glory giver? We, we're talking about, yeah, we want to we give glory to God instead of taking it for ourselves. But look back in verse 1, look back at that prayer. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So in this prayer, who is the one who does the giving? It's not us. We pray that the glory will be given to God. But the one who is asked to do the giving in this prayer is God himself. And this is where I think we get to the, to the heart of the issue, because when we talk about doing things for the glory of God, we need to realize that it's not really us doing stuff for the glory of God. It is God who does stuff for the glory of God. God does stuff in and through us. Um, look, at, uh, look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, um, I think we have this one there, right? Yes. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul is saying, yeah, you guys, you're doing a good job obeying, even though I'm not there, but I want you to do this. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, so it's something we have to work at. But then he says, because for God is the one who is actually at work in you. So you're not doing this, this whole working out your salvation. You're not doing that yourself. God is actually doing it in you. He is working in you to will and to work. So he's giving you the right desires. He's also giving you the, the power and strength to do the right things as well. So we don't do stuff for him. He does stuff in us and through us for himself. And if we don't get that straight, we'll be like, oh, you know, I in my own power, I'm going to give God some glory here. But that's not how God designed it. He is doing it in us because that's going to give him the glory. How does he do that? 
well, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, right? God himself lives inside us. So that's how he's working in and through our lives. And then you say, well, what about, you know, we talked about that other group, the dead who do not praise God. If God is, is wanting to give himself all the glory, what about these people that, that don't know him? What about these people that reject him, are far away from him, that do not have the Holy Spirit living inside them? Well, guess what? God is still going to get glory there as well. If you, if you look at that passage in, in Philippians chapter 2, those verses, the passage right before that is a very famous passage where Paul talks about Jesus coming down from heaven, dying on the cross, and then being glorified. And um, we still have a little bit of time, so if you would turn there with me, Philippians chapter 2, just read these verses here, 6 through 11. This is talking about Jesus here. In verse 5, Paul says, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. And in verse 6, he starts and says, Who, although he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, saying he was God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So he's taking steps lower and lower. He, first he was in heaven, he was God. He came down to be a man, he became a servant, he became obedient to the point of death, and the worst death of all, the, death on, the most shameful way of dying that the Romans had devised at that point, death hanging naked on a cross. <coughs> So we're going down, 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 but now we're going to start going back up in verse 9. It says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everyone is going to see who Jesus is, and everyone is going to say, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. There's a lot of people that at, one, at some point in the future are going to see Jesus and have to recognize who he is, but are not going to be saved because they've been rejecting him all their lives. They are part of these, this group, the dead, now, God is, still going to get the, God is still going to make them see who Jesus is. And they're still going to recognize, bow their knee to him. But their sins are not forgiven. They're going to go down. So, this is where I think that very simple, the, the, the basic rule that we talked about at the beginning, you we were saying, you know, if you want to play football, you better know that you need to get the ball in the end zone to score points. Otherwise, you'll just run around like a headless chicken. The, the goal, the, the, one of the basic rules of life is that God is going to give all the glory to himself. And that's the basic rule that has a big impact on our lives. If we, if we don't know that rule, if we don't want to live by that rule, we're just going to be glory takers. But if we recognize the rule, God, God wants all the glory for himself, God is going to get all the glory for himself, God works in us to give all the glory to himself, things will start making sense. 
Our life will, will line up with God's purposes for our lives and for this world. So we have, we have a choice. We can be part of the, the dead, as the psalm calls them, who will go down in silence after recognizing who Jesus is. Or we can be part of the us that declare, but as for us, we will bless the Lord. And the, the thing is that both groups are going to, at some point, fall at Jesus' feet, bow their knee to Jesus, but one group will then come, go on to praise God forever, and the other group will not. And the difference there, of course, is, well, do we believe in Jesus? Do we trust Jesus? As it said in that passage in Philippians 2, Jesus, who was God, came down to be man and die on a cross to take the penalty of our sins. And that sacrifice will apply to our lives when we believe and follow Jesus. Then we become part of those people that will, be, that will worship God forever. We will join God in his plan for creation to bring him glory, and we will be able to do that forever. But I hope that, that, what you're, that you see here that the point is that Jesus' death on the cross, his main purpose was not our salvation. That was what he accomplished, yes, but the final purpose of that was not just so that we can be saved and live a better life here. The purpose of that is that we become glory givers to God, that God lives inside us now and works in us to, to will and do and gives us the power to do the right things to give him glory. So, when we become believers in Christ... It is for the glory of God. The psalm calls us to be glory givers, yes, but not for us to be glory givers. The prayer is that God would give glory to himself in us and through us by changing our lives, by making us more like him, by making us, giving us the, the desire and the power to live sacrificial, service-oriented lives. So as we, as we go through these three reasons, as we said, because of who he is, because of what he's done, because we want to trust in the right things, we want to make this our prayer. We want to be those people that are part of God's plan to give glory to himself. So would you pray with me and, and make this prayer your own that we, that we saw in the psalm here? Oh Lord, we thank you that you are the great God of heaven, that you have created us. You have created everything for your glory. And Father, we, we pray with the person who wrote this psalm, the people that have sung this psalm over the ages. We pray that the glory would go to your name. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Father, we pray for your spirit to work, to, to convict, to change us, so that everything we do will be to the glory of God the Father.